legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit Collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. And because quantum gravity, the problem of quantum gravity is so fundamental. Space-time is, it is the arena in which everything that happens, happens. It is our universe. And so understanding that better at a fundamental level is bound to have consequences, which we can't foresee because we don't know what quantum gravity is yet. It's bound to have consequences in every part of our lives. Although, as I said, it's hard to predict what those will be. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello, I'm Alexander McNamara, online editor at BBC Science Focus. This week, we're going on a search for the theory of everything. The two main theories of physics are at odds with each other. On one hand, you have Einstein's general relativity theory, which explains gravity, but it contradicts quantum theory, which explains how we understand matter, atoms and particles. Theoretical physicist at the Imperial College London, Faye Dalka, has been working on a solution to this quantum gravity problem and tells our editorial assistant, Amy Barrett, why the theories are incompatible and how she plans to bring them together. I am working on the problem of quantum gravity. And it's a problem and not a theory because we don't have a theory of quantum gravity yet. So the problem is to, the challenge is to find one. And it's a problem because our current two best fundamental theories in physics are not compatible with each other. It's it's a strong statement to say that they are contradictory, but I'm not afraid of saying that, actually. <laughs> I think science, it advances by looking at contradictions between our current, our current um, uh, different pieces of our understanding, and it focuses on those contradictions in order to, to make progress. So science, actually, it tolerates contradictions, but not forever. So <laughs> at any particular moment in history, there will always be contradictions, or there have always, let's say, in the past, been contradictions between different pieces of our understanding. And those contradictions are exactly where we want to focus on to in order to, to do better, to try to unify our understanding. So what are the contradictions involved in quantum gravity? So our best theory of gravity currently is general relativity, and that was largely formulated by Albert Einstein. 
And according to this theory, gravitational phenomena, such as the motions of the planets around the sun, black holes, the motions of galaxies in the universe, are manifestations of the geometry of a fabric that we call space-time. Space-time is four-dimensional and it's dynamical, so it has, its, it, it has a life of its own. It is governed by, by laws of physics. It bends and it warps and it ripples and it carries energy. It is a, it's a physical entity in our current understanding um, of gravity. And the way that it bends and warps and ripples is governed by the matter in the universe. So depending on what matter there is, then space-time responds to it. So if, I, if two black holes, for example, are, um, are in orbit around each other, in spiralling and towards each other, then that will create ripples in this space-time fabric that we call gravitational waves. But the contradiction arises because our very best and most fundamental understanding of matter is quantum mechanical. And one of the essential features of quantum mechanics is that quantum mechanical events are unpredictable. They're inherently unpredictable. When a quantum mechanical event happens, we don't know in advance what the outcome will be. We'll know what the possibilities are, but we won't know which one will happen. So it's like a, like a horse race. You know that one of the horses will win, but you don't know which one in advance. And that is, that is ignored. That feature of matter, that quantum mechanical feature of matter is ignored by general relativity. General relativity assumes that matter behaves in a predictable, entirely predictable and deterministic way. So there's the contradiction. Quantum mechanics says that matter behaves in a stochastic or random way, but general relativity assumes that matter behaves in a predictable way. So what are some examples of, of a quantum mechanical event? What, what could those be? So, for example, um, in uh, at the moment there is a huge amount of... of experimental work being done in the in the realm of optics and quantum optics in particular and that's very exciting a lot of my colleagues at imperial college are experts in quantum optics i really enjoy going down to see their experiments and they're in quantum optics one of the fundamental pieces of equipment that they use is um are called uh interferometers so and in quantum optics they can reduce the, the intensity of the light that they use in their experiments so that one particle of light called a photon is moving through the equipment, the interferometer, at a time. And when they use certain, um, certain components of, the, of their equipment, this photon, when it passes through something called a half-silvered mirror it can decide to go to do one of two things. It can either go straight through the, the half-silvered mirror or it can reflect off it. And for a given photon, it's, it, you cannot predict which way it's going to go. It, it will either go through it or reflect off it. And there's a 50-50 chance of it doing either of those two things. You can't predict in advance which one it's going to do. It will do one or the other, but you can't, you, you, and over time, the average will be that roughly half of the photons will, will go through and roughly half of the photons will reflect off. So that's something that it's inherently unpredictable which way the photon will go. Right. And why doesn't that match up with general relativity? So it's a feature of matter at large scales that this inherent unpredictability washes out. So what we, what we see at macroscopic scales, the, beha the behaviour of matter, is that this quantum uncertainty is, is hidden by the, the, the statistical properties of the matter 
as a whole. I mean, these are very, uh, this is a sort of rule of thumb, a sort of broad brushstroke description of how classical behavior or deterministic behavior, predictable behavior arises from a quantum theory. Actually, there, the the precise theoretical understanding of how that classical behavior arises from quantum mechanics is, in my opinion, absent. We don't, we, we can give this rule of thumb um, heuristic explanation, but it's actually, there is no procedure within the, within quantum theory to explain why this, this classical behavior arises or how it, how it arises, in my opinion. That's one, uh, another problem that I, work on in my research program, which is to try to understand how classical behaviour arises from, from quantum behaviour. And how does your research, like, how do you go about your research? What does a, a day look like for you? I am a theoretical physicist, which means that I, I don't have a lab. I'm not um, tied to a lab. So I can do my research pretty much anywhere. I use a computer a lot, so I'm often sat at a desk reading papers on my computer. Um, I have, I find it hard to think without a piece of paper in front of me um, and a pen in my hand. So I'm, I'm doing calculations, scribbling notes down on on paper. Um, I'm often, so when I'm teaching, I am interspersing bouts of thinking about research and doing research with my preparation for teaching, meeting students. So yeah, typical day will involve perhaps a lecture, um, preparing for a tutorial, talking to to my PhD students about their about their projects, um, sitting down reading a, an interesting paper that's just come out. So it's yeah, it's very varied and that's one of the great things about about my work. Um, in terms of working on um, this this problem of quantum gravity, is there any simulations involved, or is it is it really just hard maths? It's both. Um, uh, my colleagues use a lot of computer simulations. Computers are incredibly useful, even though we're doing theoretical physics. People use computers to simulate. Um, the systems that they are that the mod simulate the models that they are creating also to solve um, hard equations. It's often often computers can do it can do what we can't do. So um, people use computers to solve, for example, differential equations. For example, the equations that govern the geometry and structure of space time are Einstein's equations. They're very difficult to solve analytically just with pencil and paper and so people are using enormous amounts of computing power to solve those equations to tell us for example what the form of the gravitational waves coming from black hole collisions will look like so yeah computers are a big part of of theoretical physics today right and um so there are other lots of other physicists working on this problem currently there are there, it's a community, a global community of people working on on quantum gravity. There are different approaches. It's a it's a strange situation at the moment, historically, in which our the experimental evidence pointing us in one direction or another. In, quant- in quantum gravity research is very, very scarce because the two realms in which both gravitational phenomena and quantum phenomena are, are rather extreme in themselves. And when you put them together, the sorts of realms in which they become really relevant are very extreme. So, for example, at the, at the time of the Big Bang, when it, which is roughly 13.7 billion years ago, when the universe was, the matter in the universe was in a very hot, dense state, that, that realm is where both gravitational and quantum effects will be, will be important. But it's very far from us in time. 
So it's difficult mm. for us to probe that era to get experimental evidence of what quantum gravity should be like. So because of this situation where the evidence for different approaches to quantum gravity is scarce, there's a wide range of different approaches. So the community is a, a vibrant and large community. We're divided into different approaches. So some people will focus on one one heuristic um, motivation and some others will focus on a different um, uh, a different starting point, if you like. And at the moment, it, the experimental evidence is, is, is scarce and so the, it's hard to be guided by, by actual observations at the moment. Right, so we, we don't see this happening at the moment, like we can't look out into space and see this happening? We can. So cosmology which is the study of the universe at the very largest scales that we can observe, is a place where we can look for evidence for different approaches to quantum gravity. And I think it's probably the most promising place, promising area that we can look to for evidence of different approaches to quantum gravity. And I am actually hopeful that more and more cosmological data will in the will in the not so distant future start to distinguish between different approaches and we'll be able to um, be guided by that cosmological data in in our research in theoretical in in quantum gravity so what are the different approaches going on at the moment there i could divide them roughly into two i mean there's overlap between them and there are scientists who work on on more than one approach, but very roughly speaking, they can be divided into two rough camps. Um, the, there's one approach which is, roughly speaking, motivate. It comes from a tradition of physicists of phys, of the of particle physics, the physicists who have been focused on trying to understand matter at the most fundamental level. So, working on the standard model of of particle physics, and that approach, that tradition in in theoretical physics has given rise to the approach to quantum gravity called string theory. And in that approach, the fundamental particles are conjectured to be different modes of vibration of a fundamental substance which is one dimensional. So that's why it's called string theory. So one dimension, a string is one dimensional. Um, so that 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 tradition, that particle physics tradition, has 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 given rise to an approach to quantum gravity called string theory. The other tradition, roughly speaking, is to take space time, this fabric, this four dimensional fabric of space time, as the starting point. So to try to think about it as um, having a quantum mechanical nature, and so. Again, roughly speaking, that's a tradition of physicists working on general relativity, on gravitational physics. And from that has arisen different approaches, which are more focused on space-time than they are on matter. So there's, yeah, that, that's a rough description of the of two different approaches to the problem. Wow. So, I mean, I know nothing about space-time nor string theory. Are you able to just... You know, it might be a big ask to, to explain what string theory is, but can you? I interesting, interestingly, string theory has grown, I think, hugely beyond its original. Well, let me say so. String theory was it originated from actually directly from particle physics as a. Um, in that people were trying to understand the standard model. And in particular, they were trying to understand the strong nuclear force, which binds together um, the, the, the nucleons in the, in the nucleus of atoms. And string theory arose from trying to understand that. It, it broke out of that those constraints when it was realised that 
in the, the string theory contained within it gravity. And that was, it was not designed to do so. So it was a very um, dramatic development that a theory that was developed to try to understand the, understand matter, to understand the um, particles, fundamental particles, actually contained within it gravity. You could see gravity in there. And that was, that was, I think, very, very motivational for a lot of particle physicists to, to start thinking about string theory as something that, that could be the, the theory of quantum gravity that, that, that we know we need. Um, now string theory is, is a, there are many physicists who work on string theory for many different reasons, and quantum gravity is just one of them. So string theory sort of it's broken its boundaries again, and many physicists work on it because they find it very, um, very attractive, very beautiful. It has a lot to say about about quantum field theory, which is the the area of physics that 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 particle physics um, that particle physics is based on, and the yeah it's it's a it's a theory which is really which is really um rich it's in from its ver from its roots it's grown to be something which in which people have found more and more interesting things to look at and i quantum gravity is just one of them and you mentioned four dimensional space time yes can you explain i mean getting my head around four dimensions <laughs> and space time is quite difficult yes Yes, it is. It's a new it's a new worldview, a new way of thinking about the universe. How do you how can you get your head around three dimensions? Yeah, three dimensions is something we're, that we're all familiar with, right? Yes, good, exactly. So, and what does that mean exactly? Well, what it means is that you can think of a thing. Let me say, uh, okay, what have I got in front of me? I've got. Um, my teacup, right? So my teacup, I can think of that thing. And to say where it is, I have to give you three numbers, three coordinates. I can tell you how high it is above the floor, how far it is from the front wall, and how far it is from the side wall. So I can, I can, tell you I can pinpoint its position in three-dimensional space by giving I can t pinpoint its position in space by giving you three numbers and that's what mm -hmm. we mean by space being three-dimensional so for example uh, a map of uh, of Bristol consider think of a map of Bristol and you want to pinpoint a, the, your position in Bristol right now on that map you only need to give two numbers which is the two coordinates of, of the coordinate grid on the map. Mm -hmm. So the map of Bristol is two-dimensional. The space in in this room is three-dimensional. I need three numbers to pin, pin, pin down where something is. And the idea of four-dimensional space-time is that you need four numbers to pin down not just where you are, but when you are. And what I mean by when you are is not... You, because you persist for many moments of of time, but a particular instance of you. So I mean you now. So to say what that what where that event is of you and now, you need to say give four numbers: three where you are in space, roughly speaking, and one when that moment is, what time it is at that moment. So that so. Four-dimensional space-time is the collection of all these events. Everything that happens has needs three, four numbers to pinpoint it. Roughly speaking, three of space, where, where it is, and one of time, when it is. And if you collect together all of these events, they form this four-dimensional fabric of space-time. But how does that relate to quantum gravity? The... Well, first of all, it relates to gravity. So it relates to quantum gravity because it relates to gravity. So if you take all of the events in 
in the universe, then they form this four-dimensional fabric. And the four dimension and the structure of that four-dimensional fabric gives tell, tells us, it gives us, it manifests itself as as gravitational phenomena. So the this four-dimensional fabric of space-time is gravity. It 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 explains gravity. It tells us why the planets orbit the sun and um, why the galaxies behave as they do, why black holes exist. So that, that this four-dimensional fabric of space-time is gravity. So to understand quantum gravity, we have to understand quantum space-time. So that space-time has to do with quantum gravity because it is the fundamental way that we understand gravity. And so why is it important that we solve this problem of quantum gravity? It's the epitome of what science is to try to better our understanding of the universe. And as I said, the science tolerates contradictions, but it doesn't tolerate them forever. So science advances by resolving contradictions between different parts of our current understanding. So the drive, scientific drive to understand better is what motivates our attempts to find, our quest to find a theory of quantum gravity. The, because, and because quantum gravity, the problem of quantum gravity is so fundamental, space-time is, it is the arena in which everything that happens, happens. It is our universe. And so fund, understanding that better at a fundamental level is bound to have consequences uh, which we can't foresee because we don't know what <laughs> quantum gravity is yet it's bound to have consequences in every part of our lives although as i said it's hard to predict what those will be mm. and i mean from your opinion how far away are we from from understanding that that's yeah that would be <laughs> <laughs> if i knew that <laughs> then, yeah, uh, I I just don't know. It, I think, as I said, a, a lot depends on... A lot depends on what happens in cosmology in the future, what sort of new data will come in. At the moment... So, for example, in a, at the moment, there's a tension. Some Some people would even say, now call it a contradiction between our best theory of cosmology it's also called the sta- confusingly called the standard model so it's but this is a standard model of cosmology between that best standard model of cosmology and our our observations in particular our observations of the expansion rate of the universe so the universe is expanding the galaxies, our galaxies are getting further and further away from each other, and we can measure the rate at which that is happening. And that rate is now in contradiction. That measurement of that rate is in contradiction now with, or well, let me say, contradictions are strong. Uh, experimental physicists are, are very conservative. They don't <laughs> want to announce a contradiction <laughs> until they're really, really sure. But there's now very a growing tension between our observations of the expansion rate and today the expansion rate of the universe today and our standard model of cosmology i think that that is going to show that our standard model of cosmology has to be reformed and i think that that's going to be a clue to um to quantum gravity but we'll see that's that's something that may or may not happen in the next next few years as more cosmological data is gathered. So at the moment, we're noticing that the expansion of the universe is happening faster than our standard model, if I got that right. Ah, it, that's, it, it's slightly more subtle than that. So you're right. The ex, so the expansion rate, what you're referring to is that um, roughly about... 20 years ago now, 
um, it was realized that the expansion rate of the universe is greater than it would have than it would have been if the so-called cosmological constant was zero. So the, the standard model of cosmology has changed over history. And 20 years ago, the standard model assumed that this so-called cosmological constant was zero. And that was in that was shown to be in contradiction with the the data with the with our measurements of of the expansion rate today to resolve that the standard model was altered to include a cosmological constant and that standard model then agreed with the with the um, agreed with the observations now what's happening at the moment is that the these are much more precise measurements of, of the of the um, expansion rate today that are being made and it's that, that that's bringing the standard model into again into contradiction with the with the data because the data is getting better and better we're able to to measure the expansion rate today at a higher and higher accuracy and do you think that there's any you know i mean that's just shown I had a, a misconception, really, because I, I thought we were still back at you know twenty years ago. I guess. Um, are there any misconceptions out there in the general public about um, well, cosmology or quantum mechanics? When I give public lectures, I am amazed at how well informed people are. I often get questions from the audience when I give a public lecture that are far more astute and, <laughs> and incisive than those than, than questions that I get asked by my colleagues. I think it's because people are really, they have a much broader perspective. They want to know, they're much more questioning. They want to know in general why one is interested in this. Why is one doing this? What are the, what are the broader issues here? And that's I enjoy that enormously and people are very, you know, they're very astute, they're very they can pin spot a an inconsistency in your argument. So when when you're talking to your colleagues, often people are very focused on details, they're focused on that may already be working in that area and are not asking you why you're doing something but just about a particular detailed calculation. So yeah, so the it it's I really enjoy speaking to to non-experts because they you know their their questions are challenging uh, very challenging and often very very well informed so particularly about cosmology I think people are very well informed and um, I haven't come across anyone who asked a question that I thought well they just yeah haven't 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 kept up with the <laughs> with the current developments um, quantum mechanics is a different matter because and, but that's not the fault of people of interested non-experts. The the confusion and perhaps um, misconceptions about quantum mechanics that abound and that they do abound are because the community of physicists itself is not has not come to a consensus about quantum mechanics and how to understand it. That is a remarkable situation given that quantum mechanics was was created in its uh, in 1925 and has been in the words of Einstein our most successful physical theory but there's still no consensus consensus on how to understand it what it means what does it mean what picture of the world does it give us so that's a it's a different situation from general relativity there is consensus in the scientific community about the picture of the world that general relativity gives us. There is no consensus on the picture of the world that quantum mechanics gives us. There are different points of view, different... Um, some, and one point of view is that even asking that question is, is a waste of time and we shouldn't bother. But amongst those who think that it is a genuine an important 
physical question, and I include myself in that category, there are different opinions. So what interested um, non-experts, people who are just generally interested in science, are picking up is that there is disagreement, there's, um, there's controversy, there are different points of view, and there are many different, I would have to say, contradictory statements made by, by physicists about the nature of quantum mechanics. And because we think that scientists or science, there's no room for opinion in science. Um, and I think that that's in itself quite confusing to, to come across you know, conflicting opinions. Yes. I, I'm surprised that anyone would think that there are no opinions in science. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that, that just, I don't, how can anyone get that impression? There's science, you know, there's science thrives on debate and discussion and disagreement. We have to, yeah. I mean, even it, an individual scientist so many, you know, if you if you look at what they what they say, their work, I mean, that develops over time. You know, people can hold contradictory views at the same time, and people's later work or statements can be in you know can disagree with their earlier work and statements. So, so yeah, as a community, we're constantly constantly debating and arguing um, with each other, and that's. It's a, it's the way science works, and also, it's, it's a. What do they say? It's the it's the strength of science. So, it, it individuals can always be wrong. In fact, we're always we're wrong a lot of the time, but the community as a whole advances because we we can reach consensus. We have to we have to persuade each other. We have to convince each other that the evidence for something is strong enough that we owe, that we change our opinion, and that's that's the strength of it. So, uh, as a community, we can be right, even though as individuals we are con we're constantly wrong. And what about your own journey through science? How did you get to where you are today? I came when I was young, a young girl and young student. I was very interested in maths. I wasn't too interested in physics at school and I went to university to study maths. And then in my third year at university, I learnt about general relativity and I loved it. I've loved it ever since and it's been, it's been, the, it's been the rock on which I've rested my, my intellectual journey ever since I still love it I that I had the opportunity to teach it to my undergraduate students and it was a joy a privilege and yeah it was my dream my dream teaching experience I love it so yeah so that's uh, I came to physics late in life I suppose in in the sense that it was only while while I was a, an undergraduate student that I started to to be interested in physics. Um, and I came, and quantum gravity always seemed to me to be the most fundamental question that one could ask. So I loved general relativity, but I I could see that that it didn't it didn't accord with our understanding of matter. And so I wanted to know and still want to know how to make that work, how to how to reconcile the quantum nature of the world with our understanding of gravity. And can you sort of explain what is general relativity and why did you love it so much? General relativity is our best theory of gravity and it's also our the a theory of space-time. It's quite mathematical in, te in its technical aspects, um, but its conceptual features are that we have a new view of the world as being four-dimensional instead of three-dimensional. So we live in space-time. We don't live in space with time ticking away from, for us. 
in fact, our, our world is made up not of three-dimensional objects, but of events, things that happen. So it's a, it's a new perspective on reality. So instead of fundamental things being tables and chairs and, 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 and galaxies and planets, fundamental things are events, things that happen in space and time. And space-time is made of those events. So the events are more fundamental as building blocks for the universe than three-dimensional objects. So this, what I loved about it was this change of perspective. And it's not just a change of perspective that you are allowed to make. Science dictates that you must make this change, must have this change of perspective, because general relativity is... is empirically, testably, experimentally verified, better, be, verifiedly better than the theory of gravity that came before general relativity, which was Newton's theory of universal gravitation. So this general relativity is a better, it's our best theory, empirically, provably, demonstrably, and quantitatively better than our current, than our previous understanding was and so this change of perspective that that our world our universe is made of events and not of three-dimensional things is it's demanded of us as scientists you have to take this perspective because general relativity is better than than the our newtonian understanding so that i i was just thrilled and and challenged and and excited by this new perspective I just wanted to know more about it and to learn more and now I want to push the boundaries of the of our understanding so that it incorporates quantum theory and the approach that I work on to this problem is one in which space-time is fundamentally granular or bitty pixelated atomic discrete there are many words that that um, have the same connotation here. So that space-time is not... In general relativity, space-time is smooth and continuous. It's a fabric. It's a smooth fabric. But in the approach to quantum gravity that I work on, the conjecture is that this smooth, continuous fabric is just an approximation to something which is fundamentally granular, fundamentally atomic. So the word atom means uncuttable so it's something you can't divide up anymore you get to a smallest piece that can't be can't be made any smaller so space-time in the approach to quantum gravity that i work on is conjectured to be atomic it's conjectured to be made of fundamental events that are the smallest possible events and you can't cut them up anymore wow <laughs> that's it's really hard to get your head around isn't it <laughs> I'd really like to to just hear about your PhD and and what it was like working with Professor Stephen Hawking. Mm. Stephen was my PhD supervisor, and it was an amazing experience being his student. He was a very generous supervisor to me. He involved me in the work that he was doing very generously. He gave me a great um, problem to work on, very interesting, and he was very approachable. I was a little, I was a, a shy person and not, um, not good at putting myself forward. But he, yeah, he, he was not, um, not standoffish at all. I could. He always made time for me, even though it was often. I would often have to wait a long time before seeing him because he was so busy. Um, but it was he always made sure that he made it clear that that science and his work and his research was a priority. So yeah, that was um, that was an important part of 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 my of my PhD. Yeah, he the things that he taught me, I still I still they're still part of of the way that I think about physics. So his focus on space-time as being fundamental. He 
he championed a particular approach to quantum mechanics called the sum over histories approach or path integral approach, which I I think is the most fruitful way to think about quantum mechanics. So that's still part of part of my research. It's part of what my research is based on. And the opportunities that I got from being his student also helped me enormously in my in my subsequent career. Sorry, what was that approach? And can you just explain that really quickly for me? Yes, of course. The part of my work on quantum gravity involves trying to understand quantum mechanics itself better. I said that there is no consensus in how to understand quantum theory. And again, within that and within that there are different different approaches, different opinions. So one approach to the foundations of quantum theory, this is not specifically to do with gravity, um, but just quantum theory itself, quantum mechanics and quantum field theory, is one approach is called the sum over histories approach. And that's due, it's associated very closely with the particle physicist Richard Feynman. So it's often called Feynman's sum over histories, although it dates back previous I mean it's um it's an old it's older than Feynman so it was actually initiated by Paul Dirac um in the 1930s but it's it's closely associated with Feynman and in this approach to quantum mechanics the the same sorts of concepts as arise or that general relativity is based on are fundamental in in the path integral approach to quantum mechanics. And those concepts are the concept of event, something that happens, something that happens in space and time, and the concept of history. So a history is a detailed way in which an event can happen. So, for example, an event could be it's raining, between 1 and 2 p.m. in Bristol. That's an event. It either happens or it doesn't happen. And a history would be a very particularly detailed way in which it can be raining. So the exact number of raindrops, a particular pattern in which they fall, the whether it's windy or not as well as raining, all these details would be a history. So... In the sum over histories approach to quantum mechanics, you treat, a, you think about a quantum system in, in terms of those concepts, things that can happen, events, and then histories, which are very detailed ways in which that thing can happen, that event can happen. And Feynman's sum over histories is a way of making predictions about those events. So there are, de- there are rules for how to calculate the probability of an event happening. And the Feynman sum over histories gives you a way of calculating those probabilities. And we, my colleagues and I, are trying to base a an understanding of the physical world, of the quantum physical world, on this sum over histories. And that's it's a work in progress. We haven't, we haven't, it's not complete, but it's a it's a direction in which we are trying to um, trying to go in understanding the nature of the quantum world. And I wonder, um, thank you for, for spending so much time with me, but I wonder just quickly, um, is there anything about your experience experience with Professor Hawking that, that has impacted the way you work with your own PhD students today? There are so many things that let me pick out a couple. I went with a, I went with Stephen to a workshop in, at the University of California in Santa Barbara at the Institute for Theoretical Physics there. And it was an amazing experience. I was just a PhD student. I met so many people who had whose work I knew. And Stephen made me give a talk. I didn't want to. I was scared out of my... I was just scared out of my skin. It was terrifying. But he wouldn't... He, he simply made me do it. He said, well, you're going to do it anyway. Um, and I did do it. And it was 
although it was really <laughs> very difficult, I'm really glad that I did. And he, yeah, he he was like that. He just expected, he, he treated his students as intellectual equals in the sense that he listened to what we had to say. Um, and obviously he was just vastly more experienced. So um, he knew that we didn't know that much, but he did, you know, he treated us. Um, he listened to us as as he listened to his colleagues. But he also expected us to do these things that um, to embed ourselves in the community. So I do try to encourage my students to take every opportunity to to speak about their work, to to get comfortable talking about their research and to take, yeah, absolutely take every opportunity to present their work when they can. And not, even if they're worried, afraid or or don't want to do it, I encourage them to do it. I'm probably not as dictatorial as, as that. I wouldn't absolutely insist if they were, <laughs> if they, you know, really, uh, they really didn't want to. Um. So that's yeah, that's that's one thing that's influenced me as a as an advisor, and also the fact that he he just expected us to be involved in whatever he was doing at the time. So for me anyway, he 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 had a research program, and I was just expected to to be part of it. And I think that's yeah, that's that's very very encouraging for a young scientist to yeah to feel that they're part of something bigger, part of a, a, a program. A program of research. That was theoretical physicist Faye Dauka on the problem of quantum gravity. Do let us know what you think of this podcast with a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and be sure to pick up a copy of the latest issue of BBC Science Focus magazine. Inside, we have even more mind-bending science and try to find out what our consciousness really is this month. As ever, there's loads more inside. Now, we have a message from our sister magazine, BBC Sky at Night. Back Garden Astronomy Week is back from the 2nd to the 9th of March. If you've ever wanted to get into astronomy, but not known where to start, then this is the perfect opportunity. Join BBC Sky at Night magazine as they tell you how to get outside and make the most of the night sky. This year's event is centred around the moon. To join Back Garden Astronomy Week, receive daily updates and download your free 62-page beginner's guide to stargazing, sign up at www.skyatnightmagazine.com forward slash backgarden or tune into their special series of daily episodes of their podcast, Radio Astronomy. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.